Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the PKN Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I am joined by Lindy Hewson, the host of the show. Now, on this, our final episode for 2020, Lindy is, of course, the managing editor and publisher of PKN Packaging News. She's been with us uh, the whole year and will be with us next year as well, hosting these episodes. Lindy, over to you. Hi, Grant. Yeah, it's a bit sad that we're coming to the end of the season. We've so enjoyed it, but um, Christmas is coming and needs must. We do need to have a rest. Today, we're going to be talking about something really quite interesting to me, um, carbon offset initiatives for packaging. And yesterday, PKN ran a story about the Sydney-based tube manufacturer, Impact International, that has made another major step on its sustainability journey by launching a first-of-its-kind carbon offset forest initiative in partnership with leading Australian brands. With this move, Impact International becomes the first tube manufacturer in the world to offset carbon emissions of the tubes that the company manufactures through its own forestry infrastructure. The Impact International Forest is being used for wildlife protection and rehabilitation, as well as to reduce the carbon footprint of its customers' packaging and their supply chains. And with us here today is someone who can see the wood for the trees when it comes to sustainability, and that's Managing Director of Impact International, Alex Leovitz. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Lindy, and uh, thank you for having us on the final episode for 2020. So tell us more about this initiative. Why forest, for goodness sake, and what does it mean for your customers? Well, that is exactly the same question my wife asked me when I first <laughs> came up with this idea. So why a forest? So with Impact, we're a family-run business. It's our 62nd year in Australia for uh, 2020. And we've always been a great believers in trying to control our own destiny. There are many different vehicles and many different ways you can try and address your carbon footprint. Um, some of the simpler ways are to go online and buy carbon credits where you swipe your credit card through a machine and you get a certificate and you're done. It doesn't give you much of a story. It doesn't give you a tangible asset that you can touch, that you can feel. And we wanted to do something right for the environment. And we decided that we would take control of our carbon destiny and that really led us to a forest. And uh, when you look at the different initiatives around the world um, for trying to reverse climate change or to stop global warming, planting trees is seen as being the number one initiative. Preventing deforestation is probably the number two initiative. And this project here for us covers off number one and covers off number two. So where is your forest? So our forest is actually located between a small country town of Gunning, um, which is in regional New South Wales. So it's around two hours and 45 minutes drive from Impact International here in Smithfield. And it's on its way from uh, Gunning to Canberra. So it's about 45 minutes drive from Canberra. And the geographical location for our forest was very important for us because we want people, we want our customers to be able to touch and feel the forest. We want people to be able to have the benefit of being able to understand how carbon capture works or being able to see an ecosystem operating. So for customers who are based here in Sydney, we, we actually did a customer visit, our first one yesterday, with one of our founding customers, Lovkins. We left uh, Impact at about quarter past eight in the morning. We were down at the forest around 11 a.m. We stayed till 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we're back here at quarter to six in the evening. And for our customers who are based in other states, such as Queensland and Victoria and South Australia, you can fly into Canberra. We can meet you in Canberra, and that's a 45-minute drive 
from Canberra Airport to the forest. So the location for us was a very important factor in choosing which area we wanted to buy. And we also had other considerations about what sort of property qualifies to be uh, accredited and to go through the accrediting process for carbon capture credits. Uh, Also, managing fire risk. We were concerned about being on the border of a national park. Every year at bushfire season, there's a huge debate about fuel loadings and management of national park. And uh, we were concerned that if we boarded there with a national park, we would have an increased fire risk and it would be devastating to have bought a forest than to see it burn down. So our forest, when you look at it from, from a satellite image, it's basically surrounded by grazing lands and that basically provides us a big fire blanket to protect us um, against the potential risk of, of a fire. So uh, next question from me is, what, what is growing in that forest? And also, can you tell me a little bit about the wildlife that will be protected and slash rehabilitated as well? So with our forest, it's uh, our forest was originally planted back in 1999. It was part of a very large farm, and that farm was subdivided last year. And part of that uh, subdivision is what Impact has purchased. It's 114 acres of land and it contains a 20,000 tree radiata pine plantation. On the property, we also have around 1,300 native trees, including a lot of eucalyptus and and wattle. And what we plan to do um, on our property, we have identified five different areas where we can plant additional trees and we plan to start planting those trees next year. So when we plant, we'll be planting a mixture of natives and we'll also be planting more pine trees. The natives will be planted along an area where we have a creek that runs along the border of the property to try and uh, encourage a wildlife corridor so that native animals such as wombats, kangaroos, um, echidnas, uh, wallabies, they all need water and to have those native trees along that waterway we feel would be very beneficial. Uh, We will be planting more pine. From a carbon capture perspective, pine is almost double the efficiency, has double the efficiency of carbon capture compared to Australian natives. So we're doing a biodiverse and a co-benefit forest. So we're not just doing it for one objective. If If our only objective was to capture carbon, we would not plant any natives but we want to try and have a co-benefit system in place and we want to try and encourage native wildlife back to what was a farming area. And what about birds? Yes, we do have a number of birds around the area. Um, With pine trees, we do still get a lot of wildlife living in pine trees, uh, including a lot of birds. Uh, Within our area, there are two vulnerable species of birds which have been sighted on our property. One of those is the scarlet robin and the other one is called the superb parrot. Now, they do have very technical names and I would prefer not to try and embarrass myself <laughs> and pronounce them incorrectly on, on your podcast. So um, we also have two native wattle trees, being the silver wattle and the early wattle, which occur on our site as well. And we'll be doing our best to try and make sure that we are, we are trying to create an attractive environment for these sort of species. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the brands that have signed up for with you. So you've already got 10 of Australia's most recognized brands largely in the personal care space. There are some exceptions. So Bondi, Santinatio, De Lorenzo Hair Care, Lovekins, Breeze Balm, Ultraceuticals, Chroma Australia, Pump Hair Care, TBH Skin Care, and Sudox. Why did they choose to get involved? It's a really impressive list, isn't it? It's like a who's yeah. who of the Australian industry. So <laughs> I think when, when we started off with this project, we had this crazy idea. It's been more than six months in the making. And it represents a very, very large investment in our company. And when it got to a management level discussion, it basically came down to 
do we want to make an investment in something that's good for the environment, good for our brand, good for our customers, but it's not going to help us make any more tubes every year? And that was the first hurdle that we had to discuss. Once we felt comfortable with that internally, we then went and spoke to a focus group of 13 customers. Out of those 13 customers, Three said no, 10 said yes. And the 10 that said yes are the brands that you have just read off that list there. What appealed to these brands was the unique nature of what we were looking at doing. It's something of substance. It's something that they can have a fantastic uh, marketing opportunity about. The very powerful to be able to walk through the pine plantation, to walk through the the trees, to be talking about what you are doing, uh, to touch and to feel, to do a product launch there. And also to have something that's measurable and to have something that's meaningful. There is a lot of greenwashing that goes on in the current environment. And really for us, you cannot greenwash a forest. If someone says, oh, you don't have a forest, well, just hop in your car. Two hours and 45 minutes will prove to you that we have a forest. And we have the independent report that's been completed on the carbon capture uh, of the forest. So we don't pretend to be carbon capture experts. We acknowledge that. That's why we went off and we paid our money and we had an independent report that was completed. And if you go down to the forest, you will see kangaroos, you will see wallabies, you will hear birds uh, chirping, you will see turtles swimming around in the dam. It's just one of those things that you can really touch and feel. And that's really, I think, what brought a lot of brands to the table. Some people are more interested in the native wildlife protection and others are more interested in the carbon capture. This is such a holistic and such a unique approach to making packaging more sustainable. Well, if you read any consumer market research report, you'll see that there's been a substantial uptick in consumer awareness around a brand sustainability initiatives. Companies um, have a certain brand value and consumers want to buy to align their own brand values. Do you think this came into play for the brands that did come on board? Absolutely. If you were rewinding four or five years ago and you wanted to make a claim about your sustainability credentials and to talk about what you're doing, if you're a brand and you have an office and you have a contract manufacturer and you have a packaging company, to be able to sit there and say, okay, we've made our office lights and our photocopier carbon neutral, that might have been enough to get that story going. And every sustainability journey has to have a starting point. These days, the consumers are much more aware. The access to information is so much easier. You can hop on the web. You can ask Dr. Google. Brands who are doing the right thing are promoting it and advertising it. And it's really got to the point now where I think if brands are not showing and demonstrating to their customers that they are on board, that they have their journey underway, that they are making solid inroads into reducing their carbon footprint to using packaging that is recyclable, if they cannot demonstrate that, they are at significant risk of losing their customers to brands that are. And this is where our forest initiative really comes into its own because which other tube maker around the world has their own forest? So brands that are participating in this initiative with us have such a unique story, which will just help help improve the marketability and validate the sustainability credentials of their packaging. So you've got 10 brands signed up. What if any more want to join? Do you have space? Yes, we do have some space. So what we did with the forest, when we purchased the forest and we had the independent carbon assessment completed, we had the entire forest accredited and a report report completed. We then divided the forest into 20 different 
lots. Each lot shares equally in the carbon capture rate of the forest. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we, it's that old expression, do you build it and they will come? And we decided that we needed to find out because we're, like, we're, we're building a forest or we're buying a forest. You know, it's not something that we've ever done before. We're, we're a tube maker that now is an energy company with our solar farm and we're a tube maker that's now in the forestry business as well. You know, who would have thought? So we wanted to speak with a focus group and say, are we doing the right thing? If we do this, will you come on board? Do you like the concept? And we had those 10 brands out of the 13 that said yes. We could have kept on going, and I believe we could have sold out before we launched. But what's the point? We decided, what's the point of launching something? What do you say to the market? Hi, everybody. Look what we've done. We think it's pretty special, but sorry, there's no room for you. So we decided that we would stop at the 10 and that once we've gone public, we would then offer the other 10 remaining lots available. We also have room to plant more trees, which will give us another five lots. So that there will give us a total of 25 lots in the forest. So we have more room for brands to to come in. And uh, we've already received inquiries after going public yesterday about what's involved to, to signing up to our forest initiative. Well, that's fantastic. What what helps sometimes is actually knowing a few of the facts and figures. So you did tell me um, when you when you announced the launch yesterday, you gave me some numbers that relate to how many tubes and carbon offsets and all of that. Can you run us through those figures? So when we had the forest go through the modelling for the carbon capture, what we did is we then had a total figure for the carbon capture rate. And then we had to do a lot of work to try and translate that to how do we break that down into a tube? Because we could say to you or we could say to a customer, our forest captures one tonne of carbon each year. Now, what does that really mean? How do you translate that into different brands? So the best way to put it so that everybody understands is that we take a tube size and we say, if you participate in the forest, this is how many tubes per year that you'll be able to offset. So in its entirety, our 20 lots of our existing forest captures enough carbon to offset 30 million tubes per year of a standard plastic tube designed to hold 100 mils of product. And the size of the tube is important. If we wanted to do a little bit of greenwashing, we could have based these numbers off a 25 mil tube, which is a very small tube, and that 30 million might have turned into 50 million. But when we had a look at the market, what do most sunscreens come in? They come in 100 mils. What do hand sanitizers come in? They come in 100 mils. So that's why we decided to go with 100 mil fill size. So as a rough rule, we have a total offset of 30 million tubes per year, 20 lots in the forest. So each lot uh, will have a 1.5 million tube offset based on a 100 mil tube. And when we work with the specific customers, that's when we get down into our internal model that we've built to work on their specific tube size, their specific tube dimensions, and then we tailor that to their specific tube requirements. So this is not the first step you've taken to to produce carbon offsets for your clients and to let them buy into the whole concept of becoming more sustainable and reducing their carbon footprint. The first, of course, or the most major one was um, the solar farm that you invested in in 2018, I think it was. Um, Do you want to talk us through that and give us a couple of stats around how much energy you are actually saving there? So our solar farm, when we put that in in 2018, that was really on the beginning of the curve before I would say solar became very popular for manufacturers. Household solar has been around for a very, very long time. 
But getting commercial operations, manufacturing companies into solar, we were probably one of the larger systems earlier on. So when we installed that system, we made a conscientious decision to use some land that we had available on the side of our factory, and we put around 40% of our system size on the ground. Because solar's not new, people talk about solar, but who ever gets up on their roof to have a look at a solar panel? Who's ever touched a solar panel? Who wants to climb up on the roof and take a picture of their tube in front of a solar panel and saying, look at these solar panels who are capturing the energy to produce my tubes? So we put our system on the ground. Um, We had a uh, viewing platform made up where customers could put their tubes in front of the solar panels, and it worked for us exceptionally well. That system um, has been in place now for over two years. And each year we have run between 95% of the design system capacity and up to 110% of the design system capacity. And that's not because we've done anything really, really clever. That there is the effect of the different weather patterns that have been going through. If we have brighter, sunnier days, if there's less rain, there's less clouds. And that all comes into determining the performance of your solar system. So that was a very, very uh, good investment for our company. And when we first started, we basically were generating on a cloudy day around 450 kilowatts of energy. And that's the equivalent to around 380 kilograms of CO2 not being emitted into the atmosphere. On a very, very bright day where we have um, a long day, so with daylight savings taken into consideration, we can generate up to 1.8 or 1.9 megawatts of energy, which would be the equivalent of around 1,500 to 1,600 kilograms of CO2 not entering the atmosphere. And customers, suppliers, whoever visit our premises, one of the first things you'll see when you walk through reception is a nice big TV mounted up on the wall, which is running in real time. And it's monitoring our energy that we have generated, and it will tell you, it refreshes every uh, two minutes, I think it is, and it tells you how many kilowatts we have generated so far in the since the start of the day, and how many kilograms of CO2 have not entered the atmosphere due to us generating our own energy. So we're very happy with that investment. Well, I've seen that TV and I've witnessed all those stats coming through and it is really impressive. And what's also impressive is the investment that you've made in technology for your tubes and you've won some awards for it. And I'd like you to tell us now about the sugarcane-based materials that you are using for your tubes and that your clients have benefited from. It has to be said that the plastic industry over the last four or five years has had a bit of a bashing. Some of it's been warranted, some of it has not been warranted. Castrol was very famous many years ago for their saying that oils ain't oils, and the same applies to plastics. Plastics ain't plastics. So traditional plastic is normally derived from fossil fuel. Everybody understands fossil fuel. We were working with a supplier who was supplying plastic derived out of sugarcane. So what happens is the sugarcane is a plant. The plant is uh, planted into the ground. It grows. It captures carbon as it's growing, and then the sugarcane is harvested. The sugarcane is then converted into polyethylene granules or pellets, and we use the plastic from the sugarcane to manufacture a lot of our tubes. That there is a great example of better material selection being used to reduce the carbon footprint of your tubes and of your packaging. So if you can think of uh, a petrochemical or fossil fuel-based plastic, that has a certain carbon footprint. It's a big statement to be able to make that that material, when it leaves our supplier's factory, that 
sugarcane plastic is carbon neutral. Very, very important. Um, we've also accompanied that with having our energy usage at impact being 100% carbon neutral. So any energy that we cannot generate ourselves from our own solar farm, that energy is purchased in and is completely offset. So we're a 24-hour-a-day, six-day-a-week operation. We figured out to do some pretty clever things here, but we haven't figured out how to get the sun to shine between 9 o'clock in the evening and 5 o'clock in the morning. So we do have to go on. We do have to buy energy off the grid, but every single kilowatt of energy used at our company is carbon neutral. So are you saying then that all your all the brands that use tubes that are made by Impact International can make the claim of their tube being carbon neutral? No. What I mean by that, Lindy, is that all that energy that we use to manufacture the tubes is carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. If you then want to look at the next step, which is what is the carbon footprint of the materials that are in my tube, that is where participation in our forest project comes into play. So all our customers could say that Impact International is our tube supplier and Impact International only uses carbon free or carbon neutral energy. That statement is 100% correct. Then when you want to go to the next level and you want to have a look at the materials that we use to manufacture the tube, that's where our forest initiative comes into its own. And customers who work in the forest with us, they then have the ability to make a statement similar to that. Okay. All right. So I get it now. Well, what's next on the horizon? You've, you've been ticking some boxes here. Do you have any further sustainability projects in, in your sites? Next on the horizon is a bit of a rest over Christmas. Um, <laughs> we, we, we do have a few things that we're working on next year. Next year, we will basically, I think, we'll be focusing on efficiencies. Now, efficiencies is not only good for output, but efficiencies in terms of your energy usage. So uh, two years ago, we started working on a program to reduce our water usage. We received a 50% reduction in our water usage on a site, a great achievement. At the moment, we're working through compressed air. Uh, the air that you and I breathe is free. Compressed air is very expensive and it requires a lot of energy. So we're now working on ways to go through our compressed air lines to identify any leaks. If we're turning off a machine for six hours, is that machine sitting there and basically leaking compressed air like a sieve? These are the sort of parts that we'll now start to work through. Um, in terms of materials, we are working on a project to try and replace a tube which is currently non-recyclable with a format of a tube that is recyclable. That requires a lot of work in terms of what barrier properties those tubes would have and also whether or not our customers will accept those tubes. Um, so we do have things that we're, we're, uh, we're working on. At the moment, we're taking a bit of a rest under the shade of our forest. Well, I'm really looking forward to getting out there to that forest, I have to say. You really are an example of a company and a, a leader that is walking the talk. And thank you so much, Alex, for joining us on our podcast today. We're looking forward to all the news that's to come from Impact International next year. Thank you, Lindy. Uh, thank you to PKN for their support through 2020 and to all people in the Australian manufacturing industry and printing industries. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and 2021 has to be a better year. I agree with that. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks to Alex and to Lindy for today's uh, show. Very informative and some uh, great work being done there. Thank you for uh, helping with the environment. And with that, we will uh, wrap up the episode and call it a, a year. And we'll be back in the new year. We'll also be taking a break over Christmas, New Year and uh, having a bit of a relaxation time. So we're looking forward to uh, bringing you new content in the new year. Thanks, ladies and gents. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast. 
produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.